You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, just as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. You can have a seat and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to say a lot of things about a lot of things. So would you, uh, would you pray with me? Father, Thanks for the gift of your word that you use to conform us to your image, to shape you, uh, to shape us in in your image, to remind us of who you are and what you've done. Thanks for songs that we sing, and thanks that we get to gather together, uh, all of us stumbling along the journey that you have invited us into to make much of you with everything. God, you've given us every means to make much of you with with every part of our life. God, today would you show us how we are changed and would you show us what it looks like to live a a changed life in your name. Thanks for this place, these people, your goodness, your grace. Thanks for this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Change is hard. Like that's true for like laws of physics stuff. When things aren't moving, it's tough to get them moving. But it's also true in like normal patterns and ruts in our life. Like, for example, uh, about seven years ago, my in-laws, they, they moved their trash can in their kitchen. And I had been throwing trash away, Pop-Tart wrappers and Dorito wrappers in that trash can for, since I was 13 years old. And they thought it would be wise to move their trash can um, from the pantry 
to the door, and to this day, when I need to throw something away, I walk over towards the pantry, and it's not there, and so I have to go over next to the, the, the door, right? Finally find the trash can. Uh, if I walk out of the kitchen into the living room, they remodeled their house, I don't know, like three or four years ago. And so what's supposed to happen, because this is what's always happened, is you walk out of the kitchen and you turn right, there's a hallway, a mirror, you can take a little glance as you're walking by, and the restroom. But guess what? I walk out of the kitchen after just having found the trash can, and I turn to the right, but there's not a hallway there. There's just a wall there. Now I have to go all the way around, and yet I do that over and over, over again. Change is hard, but not just normal stuff like that. Change is hard in, in life and in seasons of life. Going away to college, there are several families this week that their life looks different. And so uh, that, that brings with it some unfamiliarity, both on the student side and the family side, the mom and dad or siblings that are, that are left at home, and the students must find a new, a new way to acquire food. <laughs> And, and normal stuff that they've done their whole life a certain way, and now it looks different. Life is different for those that, that are at the house still, and, and they might kind of refer back to a default where they would just open a bedroom and pop in to share some news or whatever, and it's like, you know that they're not there, but for a moment, you thought they were, because, because change is hard, and change is hard when, when two single people join their life in marriage whether that's at a young age or, man, if, if people get married later on in life, then, then they've developed a whole lifetime of, of rhythms and ruts and routines that they carry with them and this is the way that things are. And then, then they join their life with someone else and they have to manage a household and, and, and family and relationship. And, and it's difficult because they must rewire how they live with someone else in mind. Change is hard because we are people of routine and, and ruts and rhythms and habits. We live as we have lived. That's the thing. Unless something changes us. It should be no surprise then that change is hard even for those who follow Jesus. And if you don't know anything about anyone and you showed up today, you don't know anything about anybody who's trying to follow Jesus or, or Christians as it were, like know that, that it's, it's difficult for us to follow Jesus sometimes. And, and, and we have been changed, but also there's this nature of change that, that's really important for us to understand. Two weeks ago, I watched online pastor, author, uh, cultural kind of influencer, Tim Keller had a memorial service. He passed away a few months back. And, and in that service, there was this guy who was just talking about Keller and what he has done. And he said, Man, I, I thought that I needed God in my life for a better marriage. And he's like, you know, through knowing Tim or whatever, he, he taught me that, that what I needed was, was a new heart, right? And so we, we always look at the external and we think that that's the, the major problem or that's the thing that we have to work on, but, it, but it's, never, it's never the outside, it's always the inside. We live um, in Christ with new hearts. And we forget that. Unless there's a change at the essence of who we are, we live out of, out of who we've been, but because we are in Christ, we do have a new heart. We have, have a, a heart that, is, that was made of stone has been replaced by a heart that's made of flesh, and we get to live and breathe in light of who he is making us to be. That's our reality for those who are in Christ. We have new hearts, and from those new hearts flow new life and new living. Our, our, our transformed nature is our power to follow and to live new. But sometimes, sometimes we forget, and we fall back into uh, the, the ruts and the routines of our old way. In this passage, Colossians chapter 3 this chunk from Paul's pen to the church in, uh, in Colossae, we get help. And, and, and it's a warning. It is a warning. But more than a warning, it is a reminder of the power and the motivation to live in Christ. 
And what we learn is, is above all today, seek things above. The big idea is this, because you have been raised, set your mind on things above. And that just peels right off of verse 1. And this sermon is not a lot of things about a little things. Uh, it, it, is, it is just going to be a lot. And we're sticking like really contoured to this passage. And so we're just going to let the passage drive what we discover today. Because we've been raised, we get to set our mind on things above. And the first thing that we get to set our mind on is this. You are not who you once were. You are not who you were. He says it this way in verse 1. If you have your Bible, like, man, open it up. This is so super rich. And as uh, I was talking to Rick this morning, and he's like, you could read it and then just read it again and say, say, look at it. Like, it's just so rich. And so we don't have time to untangle all the things. But if you have your Bible, just look at it and follow along because we're going to be hanging out there. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Eugene Peterson, he, he paraphrases this like this. He says, if you're serious about living this, this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. He goes on, he says, don't shuffle along eyes to the ground. Like, isn't, isn't that how we live life? Eyes to the ground, one thing to the next, swiping and scrolling and looking at the next thing that we have to show up at. And, and what he's saying is zoom out. Adjust your gaze to something bigger than whatever is in, that whatever's right in front of you right now. Paul goes on. For you have died. If, if your faith is in Christ as your only hope in life and death, then, then you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear, you also will appear with him in glory. So much stuff. But the essence is, is, is a uh, perspective on contrast. What was and what is. Like, do you ever look at old photos? Like, for me and my family... We have hundreds of thousands of photos, right, in our collective Google Photos, whatever. And literally every day, it reminds me of stuff that's happened. Hey, like this memory, whatever. And so every day, I'm probably shooting people in this room. Hey, check this out. Like, whatever. Like, photos of us when we looked and lived a little different, a little differently. And I want to put some of my favorite up on the... I'm just kidding. I'm not, some of you are like, not that one, no. Um, if, if you're younger, if you're 10 years old and you see yourself at seven, you look and you say, what? What was I doing? And it was just a short period of time and you say, mom, why would you let me dress like that? And I bet if I talked to your mom, she would say, you demanded that you dress like that. If you're older and you see pictures from like times gone by, it's probably a flood of nostalgia and then, and then a cocktail of regret. As you look at who you were you say, I can't believe that I, I dressed that way or I, I styled my hair that way or, or, or why did I make duck lips in every picture for four years in a row? Why did I do that? And some of you are like, why would you regret that? And I would say, just give it time. It's fine. Just take pictures. That's what I would say. In those things, there's visible change. Like you can see you were one way and you're a different way. And we know that all those things, the externals, the, the, the style, those things change, but really what what, what floods our mind is what was happening under that. What was I thinking? Who was I back then? You were once one way, and now you are another way. That's what Paul's saying. You were once one way, and now you are another way. So, so remember. But there's a bit of a catch before he goes on, and, and he shows us what those ways look like. The catch is this. It's, it's an if-then So before he shifts gears, there's like a subtle gut check. If you have been raised, 
then seek things above. So before we go on, I just ask you, like, have you been raised with Christ? Have you been, have you been crucified with Christ? And it's no longer you who live, but he who lives in me? You say, what does it mean to be raised with Christ? And there's a whole lot of stuff in that, but, but I would say just, is he the center of your life? Is he the center of it all? Is he the anchor when things are out of control? Is he it? Is he the reason why you can confidently pray to God the Father, knowing that it's not you and your works and, and your uh, goodness that guarantees you that opportunity, but it's his? Is he the center of your life, and, and is he the essence of your assurance? Is there future hope that, that you could say, well, well, he's raised to the right hand of the Father, but here I am. I'm still on earth. But as sure as the sun will rise, we have the assurance that we too will be raised with him in glory. That is our future hope. And so you get to ask the question, have I been raised? And some of you might find that, that you've been trying to seek things above without having been crucified and raised. And that's tough. And some of you might say, you know what? I have been raised, but I've been looking down I've not been looking up at all. And so you get to reflect and, ass and assess what's happening. Is it yes? Is it no? Look at the evidence in your life. Sort it out. Is life your end game or, or God's wrath and judgment your end game? If then, seek things above. Set your mind. F for us in our family, we, we use this term a lot. We say like, hey, we need to we need to lock in. Titus said it to me 15 minutes ago. Hey, like, Dad, you need to lock in. <laughs> you need to lock in. It's, it's like, hey, we have a lot of stuff going on, but gosh, I have these assignments due, and I need to, I need to lock in. I need to focus on what's going on. Hey, there, there's a, a big game coming up. Yeah, we, need, we just need to lock in and make sure that we're doing whatever. Hey, as a family, things have been whatever. Hey, we need to lock in and be, be mindful of what's most important. Set your mind on these things. Seek things that are above. Lock into these things. If you know me, you know I'm like terrible at navigation. I'm the worst. Literally on the planet, and it's fine, whatever. I can't get places, even normal places. Every time I put something in my calendar, I put like the address, no matter what. Like I'm meeting you at the office, 210, right? I put it in. That way, when it, comes, when, it, when it comes time to go there, I just open the event, and I hit the destination, and it takes me there. I, I lock in to my destination. I do that because if I don't do that, then, then I'll just be roaming around aimlessly. I'll never get to the soccer game, I'll never get to the meeting, I'll never get to the thing, and, and, and I'll never get home. But, but if I can set my destination, I let that shape the moves that I make, then I know that I will get home. We get to set our mind, lock in, we get to input the reality of our eternal destination as sure as Christ lives. And we get to let him conform us to his image on the, on the journey there. And and just so you know, unlike uh, a maps entry on a phone gets us there, like hopefully the quickest way and avoids traffic and all that stuff, the Lord is, is less concerned with efficiency and he's more concerned with conformity. He's not worried about the quickest way to get you home. He's worried about you being his and doing his work all of the while there. It's not about efficiency, but it's about conformity. You will arrive with God in Christ. That's what this says. If you have been raised, you will arrive with God in Christ. There's this image. It's like a he's with me image. You get to the new heavens and the new earth, the end of your days. On what basis should I let you in? And you might say, man, I've done like a lot of really good things and like I've been a member of this church for whatever and I've given what, I'm better than my neighbor. Whatever it is that you think. 
and they're going to be like, well, really, like only like perfectly righteous people get to come through here. And then Jesus, he's with me. Yeah, but he doesn't look, yeah, he's, he's with me. And everything that he has to enter into new life, forgiveness, righteousness, I've given him everything that he needs. He's with me. She's with me. That's what this is saying. We will arrive with God in Christ. He's with me. And so what we get to do is we get to believe that. And then we get to live as if it's true. That he has given us everything that we need to live and walk like him for his glory until we get home. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's a, a theological truth that shapes every aspect of all things, things future, that orients everything in our past, and it shapes who we are and what we're doing today. So the question that we get to ask is who am I? If somebody asks you, hey, like, who are you? You'd be like, whoa, well, I've lived in this town all my life, and I work such and such, and my parents, whatever, and this is, you would, you would describe those things. Are you your work? Are you what you do every day? Are you your achievements? This is who I am. Let me, let me walk you into my trophy room and show you how big of a deal that I, that I am. Your failures? Who are you? You put your head down. You say, I'm not enough. That's who I am. I never have been. Who are you? I, I'm my family history. I'm what people think of me. And what I would tell you is in Christ... You are none of those things. You are his. And if we wake up in the morning and we set our gaze on that reality, gosh, lots of things to su succeed at today, lots of things to fail at today. But you know what's sure? I am his. And that's not changing. And if I am his, then I can confidently engage all of the successes and all the failures and all the things that come my way today and all of the things from yesterday. Who am I? I am his. So if, if that's true, what, what's it look like to journey the road with, a, with, with that assurance at, at the end of our mind? Like what turns do I make and like what exit ramp do I get off of? Well, he shows us. The second point we see is is we get to let the old way die. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Like what is, what is worldly, what is of the world, but not of the Lord. Put, put to death that stuff. Let the old way die. Many of you have, have seen us baptize around here and we bring a big trough and we fill it with water and we dunk people in that. And it's great celebration and, and whatever. The, the reason why we, we baptize, it's, it's a picture of death and newness to life. And it's why we, we have people cross their arms and lean back because it's symbolizing the death of Jesus. The old way is dead. And when we come out of the water, we strike up the band, we strike up the chorus, and we sing because it's a reminder of, of newness of life. Do you believe that? Do you remember that? Do you, do you live that? Like, when you look at your own life, even today, prayerfully in response, like, what was it that, that's left under the water? That, that I cast off, and the baptism is just a symbol. It's not a thing. There's no, nothing special about the water, but, but symbolically, what is it that's under the water that I don't want to, to revisit? What, what is the old man in me that, that needs to remain dead? That's what he's trying to show us. Put to death the, the old ways, and he gives us this list, right? And, and first, it's some personal examples. He says, uh, put to death these things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and coveting, which is idolatry. 
And like there's lots of lists like this in, in the Bible. And we could tease all these out. But what, what I encourage you to do is, is look at these and, and ask the Lord. If you're trying to walk with him, ask him. And, and what does the Bible mean by that? Well, well look around. Look into it. Look at the, the list. And, and what does this actually mean? Sexual immorality. It means not having sexual interaction with someone that's not your spouse. And you could begin to draw lines. And well, do you mean that? What, well, what about this? Well, this is, and then you, be, you begin to look like, well, what could I get away with that isn't on this list, you know? And I would say, you should stop asking questions like that. And rather than how can I creatively find loopholes to live my life the way that I want to live, what if you creatively sought to give God glory with this part of your life? Impurity? Well, well what's pure? Because I, I need to know what's pure. Yes, yeah, so search the scriptures. What does it look like to live a pure life? To live righteous in contrast to darkness? Passion? It's not just passion. Like It doesn't mean don't be zealous. That's not what it means. It means don't be sensual in your pursuits of the world. Evil desire? Well, what are evil desires? Coveting? Looking over your neighbor's fence and saying, man, I deserve that. Why do they have that? He's saying that these things are idolatry. They're, they're serving false gods. So what we get to do, we get to search. And, and before the Lord, we get to say, God, I think that there are things on this little list and certainly a thousand things beyond this list that are happening in my heart, in my life, that don't look like you. Would you show me those things? God, would you, would you forgive me of those ways? Would you show me what new life looks like to walk in those ways? He goes on. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So I told you this was a warning. There's judgment to come for sin. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. When I see passages like this, you too once walked in darkness I think of like a volcano and, and like a, a mega eruption that just blows the, the top off of it and shoots ash into the sky for months and, and pyroclastic flow for months, if not years. And you look and there's this circle around those volcanoes where every tree is just laid just straight down in every direction. That's what this does. Like those who think in your own righteousness you could stand against God, you can't, and he's saying, all of you once walked in darkness. There is no self-righteous judgment in you. you. You all once lived this way. And he goes on, but you must put them away. What are those things? There's a second list, and these are kind of like relational examples. But now you must put them away. Anger, like are you angry? Wrath vengeance, malice. That means you're, you're kind of motivated by, by vengeful anger, slander. You're just tearing others down. Maybe you're comparing yourself and you don't like what you see in them, so you want to talk about them so that you might be equal with them. Obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So much in here. That little two words has been like medicine to my soul. And I've probably written this verse on a napkin three dozen times in a coffee shop or a restaurant as a reminder that like you think that in Christ your life just you just live and, and, and walk like him the next day after you trust him, and, and it just takes time. It's a progress for you to become holy, and this is such a reminder that it's not a one-time deal, but you are being renewed in the image of him through knowledge. And you might say, well, well then how can I live raised? 
like, like how can I live in his ways? Not in my own strength, but his. Not because I'm transformed through my own righteousness, but because his righteousness lives in me and in him I am free to obey and to enjoy and I'm free to search and confess my sin. I'm free to love with, with all that I have. And you might say, well, yeah, you, you don't know me or my background. You don't know what my life looks like. And I would say, well, that's okay. Because the Lord surely does. And yet he gives us this hope. And so, so Paul continues on and he says, uh, in here there's no Jew or Greek. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian. No slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And what he's saying by that list is, is there, there's nothing in us. There's nothing external that can separate us from these realities. It's, it's not whether or not you had a religious upbringing and background or you were raised by the world. It's not based on your family history or, or who you were in middle school or high school. It, it's not based on whether you're from this side of town or that side of the tracks. There's no status distinctions from our humanity, no special claims as this person or that, slave nor free, my own person, debtor to anyone else but Christ is all and in all. And this group, this barbarian or Scythian, the Greeks thought them violent, uneducated, uncivilized, inferior, and essentially inhuman. And so what he's saying is, whoever you think the worst of the worst is, whether that's you or someone else, we, we are brought to, to the same place, the same need one study Bible said it this way. In contrast to such discrimination and prejudice against other races and cultures, Jesus, who is all and in all, binds Christians together as the greatest equalizer to human dignity, no matter our differences. That's what's in mind when Paul is telling them that it doesn't matter who you, you are based on externals. It's about who you are inside and who God is making you to be. In that, uh, in that funeral, that Tim Keller funeral or memorial service or whatever, um, his wife got up and she said, they're from New York, and she said, hey, like, if you're driving down whatever highway and you turn off here or whatever, like, that's where, that's where we buried Tim. Uh, his tombstone's not there yet. We're working on that. But, but she said, this is what I, I want you to know. Tim's buried in this graveyard. Don't go there looking for him. One, that's just kind of an indictment on human nature and us idolizing mere humans and whatever. But she says, don't go looking for him because he isn't there. Look, I, I get why we sometimes might do that for like therapeutic reasons and like, ah, oh, I just need to get some stuff off of my chest. But, but the reality is true that, that that person who's in Christ, they're not laying in, they're not laying in the ground. And, and the reality is we have a tendency to do that. We don't just visit others' graves, but we visit our own. We, we, we might revisit our own burial and we might look back at, who we once were, and we might get really close, and we might ask that dead person to come out and live on our behalf for a little while. Maybe we could just wear his garments. Maybe we could just live the life that he lived, or, or maybe you might ask if you can climb into the tomb and live like the dead. And what Paul's saying is, is don't go clothes shopping in the closet graveyard of your past. You may find the clothing familiar, but if you've been raised with Christ, it won't be comfortable. And look, there's something that I hate, like, I don't know if you ever like put on a shirt or some shorts or socks or whatever, and you probably know when you're putting it on that it's gonna be uncomfortable, but you're like, no, but like the colors, whatever. But then all day, you just find yourself like, oh gosh, like this is driving me nuts. But you thought that, here's the thing, like the, the, the more mature we become, 
in the knowledge of him who's conforming us to his image, then the more uncomfortable the old ways feel on us. That's the way that it, it should be. So, so don't fall back into patterns of, of style that you used to wear. You're new, so look the part. The last thing is we see is the encouragement to kind of like, then how do I live? Let the new way live. Life in Christ is primarily about being and not doing. But, but our being definitely shapes what we do. And so we just give some practical stuff. You have a new heart, a new life, a new you, raised and redeemed, live like this. Do these things. So he says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Because of who you are, put on these things. And, and I'll put the list up here. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Like, do people walk on eggshells around you? At home, at work, school? Are they just waiting for you to just un unload on them? We get to be people of, of patience and meekness and humility. Do you know everything? When someone tells you something, do you already know it all the time? Are you at a place in your life where you could say, you know what, thanks for that. Gosh, it's really helpful. That's hard to say sometimes. And it's just pride welling up in you. He's saying, man, don't live like the old way. Be humble, be kind, have compassion on others even people that aren't like you. And he says, bearing with one another. Sometimes that's hard to do. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We could talk about all these forever, but, but I would say it this way. If you could... If you could put all these godly characteristics into a blender and you could, you could grind it up and you could drink the cup, I think it would taste like love. That's what he's saying. Put all of them together. Or, or if, if all of the, the, the characteristics of God that he invites us into to live this way were like an instrument or, or notes, man, when, when, when everything is working together, it sounds like love. And so when someone says, well, what is love? You start saying some of these things. And so that's the thing that, that binds all these things together in perfect harmony. And he goes on, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know that if you're in Christ, you can live this life with a peace inside of you that doesn't make any sense based on what's happening outside of you. It's the deep sigh that's, that's seated in nothing external. W what if you woke up tomorrow and you had nothing to prove to anyone? That's our reality. You, you have nothing to prove, and yet you are free to do all of the things you're free to be a good employee and a good student and a good neighbor and a good human. Like be a, Christians are often like known by what they're against more than what they're for. Like, like we should be decent humans. <laughs> That's what Paul's telling us. Like the new way actually is like kind of good and you should live this way. And you should do this begrudgingly. Like, do all these things and go to bed at night like, oh, that was a drag. No. He says just the opposite and be thankful. See, guys, I'm just reading the Bible right now, right? And be thankful. Thankfulness is not something that you can just set your heart to, although you can be like, all right, I'm going to be more thankful about it. That's okay. But it's not, some, it's, it's not the root, it's the fruit. And what I mean by that is, Thankfulness is something that happens in us when we, are, when we are gazing at what we've been given. 
which takes us to this point. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Man, you may have a dicey relationship with the word of God. And you may be like, gosh, so all we ever talk about is like the importance of reading the word. And, and I just, I'm not a reader. I, I know, I've, I've heard it. I get it. There are other ways to, to interact with this book, but we must make it a priority. Once you listen, like let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to finish. It seems like some people actually enjoy reading the Bible. To me, it seems like an obligation. They find delight in it. For me, like I was a a Christian at 14, and I was like curious, so I would ask questions probably more just to be critical. And then at some point, like later on in high school and in college, I remember like I wanted to take this book and just sit on a bench and like read it. And like, I didn't have all the answers and I didn't have like theological categories that I might have now that, that just really cloud everything up, right? I just, I just remember sitting there and thinking, this is, this is it. This, this is what people have been talking about. And it wasn't magical. I didn't float away. No, I rode there on inline skates, on rollerblades, like in the year 2000, super baggy pants. And I went back to my dorm on those inline skates. What does that look like for you? See, see, these lists are not the key to change. These lists will not change your life. They're not the key to obedience or faithful following of Jesus. The agent of change is your new heart that's fed and fueled by your new identity by the Spirit through the Word. Feeding and fueling comes from God's Word, reminding us of who God is, of what He's done, of who we are, and of who He is making us to be. And the beauty of that is that it's, that it's deeply personal. That you can't just have a relationship with Jesus that's based on community. It's deeply personal. But man, it's really hard to have one that's personal, that's not baked into your life with others. And he shows us this, even in this passage. Like I would tell you this, if you're part of a Christian community and, and the Bible isn't open, like I'm talking to church or uh, a parachurch organization, or a family, or a community group, or whatever. If you're part of a, a Christian community, and, and you don't open the book, you're probably not really a part of a Christian community. The word must dwell richly in and among. And we get to do that individually. We get to let the word of God dwell, be near to it. Let it sink in, struggle through it. You might read and say, I don't know what that was. And I would say, like, use resources, ask people, use the internet. Like, it's, we, we have resources. The, the work to bring your current reality into existence with your, your future one that you've been raised to, it's, it's not a, a microwave meal. It is a slow cooker. I mean, I, I read... Last week it was um, in something, basically it was, it was the idea that like there's nothing more formative in the life of a believer than settling down in a, in a local church and, and living life together for decades. It's just not, it's not something that happens overnight, but, but you get to be intentional in what that looks like and, and we get to do that in community. In, uh, we had a class here a couple months back it's called Under the Word, and we'll offer that next year as well. I encourage you to be a part of it. But Pastor Scott, he talked about the things that we do when we open the book, do these things. Pray, look at it, learn about it, land on it, and live in it. There's a thousand things I could say to help you understand your Bible, but, but nothing is more important than opening it up and and just taking a swing. So what does this look like? Starting the, the Gospel of John or in Colossians, so rich. 
but, but also we get to do this in community with others. Teaching and admonishing, it doesn't mean that we correct with reckless rebuke, but, but with wise correction. And I would say this, don't be hardened to open your mouth and sing songs. That's, that's what he's saying. Psalms and hymns, old songs, spiritual songs, new songs. When we're gathered together, it is a gift. And you get to be in a room where people are reminding you of who you are, of these realities, of who you get to be in Christ. Open your mouth. Sing a song. When someone's up here preaching, me or anyone else, open your Bible. Bring a notebook. Write some stuff down so that you can look at it later and say, man, that, I don't know. Take a note. And I know people come up to me all the time. They're like, hey, I just want to let you know. Like, I wasn't like texting. I was like taking notes. And it's like, I know you weren't. Like, it's fine. We have cameras set up. I, I know that you're not. <laughs> open your mouth and be an encouragement to those around you singing a song. I, I bet the band would love to hear you sing back to them. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In uh, sermon development chat a couple weeks back, Doug Lapina he told me of a song that this reminded him of. And it was in the Les Mis song. The song is called Look Down. And I did what any human would do, having not seen the play or any of the things. I, I flew to New York and watched it on Broadway. Didn't do that. I, I downloaded the book and read it. I didn't do that. But I did watch the movie, all right? That's what I did. I watched the movie, and in the song... Look down, it's kind of like the opening scene, and it serves as kind of an intro to set the tone of what's going on. Some really bad, oppressive conditions. Uh, impoverished masses are living in like 1815 in France. And there's like this chain gang of prisoners, uh, including Inspector Javert, right? And uh, Jean Valjean. And they're crewing the ship. And, and Inspector Jovert, he's always out to get Jean Valjean, and he looks down with disgust at all the, the beggars and prisoners, and they look up at him in disgust, and they sing this song. Look down, look down, and see the beggars at your feet. Look down, and show some mercy if you can. Look down, and see the sweepings of the street. Look down, look down upon your fellow man. And like any musical, there's some dialogue that's pushing the story along. And what we see is, is the inspector, he doesn't call Jean by his name. He calls him by his prisoner number, 24601. And I really do want to sing it. But I won't, because I can't. But prisoner 24601, he has his eyes set against Valjean. Look down, look down. Your, your time is up. And so he finds himself, Jean Valjean, he's free He's, he's done his time, 19 years, basically for, for stealing some bread. And, and the inspector says, no, you're, you're not free. This paper will prove that you're still a slave because that's all you'll ever be, 24601, is all you will ever be, 24601. So that, that paper is saying, like, you have a past and you're paroled, but you won't be able to contribute to society at all. He stole some bread to, to feed his starving nephew, and now he's an outcast forever. And the, prison, the, the beggars continue on the course, and they say this, you'll always be a slave. Look down, look down. You're standing in your grave. And that's how we live when we forget that we have been forgiven and transformed and freed and raised and seated, when we forget that we've been invited to the table to share a meal with the Lord, when we forget to set our minds on things above, namely that Christ has come down to pay our debt, to do our time, and to pardon us for freedom, for peace, for purpose, for new life, and to live a new way. We get to look up and, and lock in 
because Christ has come down to change us and our status from the inside out. We were once slaves to sin and death looking down, but we are now slaves of righteousness and life looking up. And we don't have to, to steal bread to live because Jesus came and he broke his body to be the bread that feeds us as the means of life. Remember who you once were, but live out of who you are. The band can come on up, and as they're doing that, we'll just throw one last slide up here. That's kind of like some action steps. Man, if you've been raised by grace through faith, man, ask the Lord to let you do these things. Set your mind on Christ in you. Who are you in light of who he is? Let God's word dwell in you. What's your plan? When, where, what? How are you wrestling through God's word today, this week, the rest of your life? Let your heart sing in gratitude and do everything that you do clothed in Christ. It's good to be back. Thanks for letting me hang out with you guys today. You might see me again sometime soon. We get to respond. We get to take the bread and the drink that reminds us of the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled. We get to do this if we're in him. If we're not, man, we would love to chat with you. I'll be back there. We'd love to, to pray with you. There will be another uh, couple people over by that tree, that red tree over there. They would love to pray with you. You can stand up, sit down. We ask you to, to just wrestle with the Lord, and we've given you some questions to help you process this word today. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that, that you, are, you are the one that, that does the work of change in us and through us and around us. Would you let us just soak ourselves and, and let your word dwell in us richly that we might be reminded of, of who we once were? And, and that wouldn't lead us to despair, but it would lead us to thankfulness at what you've given us, at the life that you've given us that we didn't deserve, that you pardoned us. You invited us to your table, not just today, but forever. And I know life on this earth isn't easy. Would you let us fix our gaze, not just in the stuff that's right in front of us, but would you let us look up, look beyond it, and, and set our destination with you and your people forever. And would you let the life that we live flow from who you are making us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.